Hi everyone, this is Dom Bettinelli, CEO of StarQuest, with a special message as we approach the Christmas season. This past year, the StarQuest Network has continued to expand our mission of exploring the intersection of faith and pop culture through our many entertaining and informative programs. Now we need your generous financial support to reach new audiences with more of the life-changing and uplifting programming we've been creating for more than a decade. That's why it's very important that we hear from you this Advent and Christmas, the time when nonprofits receive most of their support for the year. If you are already a supporter of StarQuest, we thank you and ask you to prayerfully consider increasing your support at this time. If you're not yet a supporter, please become one now. Every gift counts. Could you give $15 or even just $10 per month? Whatever level of support you can offer, please show your support for SQPN this Christmas. And remember that your gifts may be tax deductible. Just go to sqpn.com give. That's sqpn.com give. May God bless you this Advent, and may you have a blessed Christmas season. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing Chapter 5 of this season, called Survivors of the Flux. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stiga. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Folks, be sure to write an Apple Podcast review. Take a moment and go on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from and write a review of the show. Nice five-star review helps us grow our audience and reach more listeners. Also, please share the podcast with your Doctor Who loving friends. We would really, really appreciate that. Uh, Stick around to the end of the episode. We're going to have some great listener feedback on our previous episodes. And I want to tell you about another show that's on the StarQuest Network that I'm sure you'll enjoy called The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss everything about technology, technology news from a particularly Catholic perspective. Father Corey joins me on that uh, for several several times a month. And uh, yeah, so check it out. It's at wherever you get fine podcasts or at sqpn.com slash technology. Let me know when you do the episode on reversing the neutron flow. Yes, and the polarity. <laughs> exactly. Reversing polarity yeah. as well. Yep. Well, polarity is easier to do. Technically, there is a way to reverse neutron flow, but it's not what you think. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a tangent, which uh, I will avoid at this moment, but I want to really uh, talk about that at some point. Uh, but if, let's talk about Survivors of the Flux. Jimmy, can you give us a recap? Okay, spoilers ahoy. Last time on Doctor Who, the Doctor was recalled to the Division and she turned into a weeping angel. This time, the Doctor immediately turns back into a human because, as we conjectured last time, she was only being turned into an angel so she could be transported to the Division. Turns out the Division is headquartered in a space station between universes. And there, the Doctor meets the old woman from a few episodes ago, who turns out to be Tecteyun, her foster mother who found her as a child and raised her on Gallifrey. Tecteyun is the current head of the Division, and she explains that it started on Gallifrey, but has since expanded to multi-universal scale. She also says that when the Doctor left the Division... And when Tecteyun had her memories wiped, so Tecteyun was responsible for that, they effectively released the Doctor as a virus in their experiment. 
she thought they could control the doctor, but they couldn't. Once the she learned, the doctor learned, what the division had done to her, she never stopped searching for them, which allowed the possibility that they'd be exposed. To stop this exposure, they've released the Flux to destroy the universe and propel them to the next one. Tecteyun offers the doctor a Luke, I am your mother deal and <laughs> offers her her memories back with a chance to explore the next universe, which is possibly where she came from. Tecteyun even offers to let the doctor survive, to let Earth survive the flux so the doctor's friends will be okay. But the doctor says, no. That's impossible! <laughs> Meanwhile, in 1904, Yaz, Dan, and Professor Jericho have a world-spanning MacGuffin adventure and meet Joseph Williamson, who reveals he has built his tunnels to help save mankind and that he has a set of doorways to other worlds and times. Meanwhile, through the course of the 20th century, we see the Grand Serpent from a few episodes ago on Earth, where he manipulates and kills people in the history of UNIT, trying to rise to its top. The Great Serpent also has agents scattered throughout Earth's history who have serpent tattoos on their arms. Meanwhile, in 2021, the Lupari shield around Earth is starting to crack, and Carvanista decides to repair it by pulling in a missing Lupari ship, which happens to have Bell on board. Meanwhile, Vendor arrives at a remote space facility where Swarm and Azure are disintegrating people from the passenger forms and absorbing their energy for an unknown purpose. Vendor also gets sucked into a passenger form where he meets Dan's girlfriend, Diane. Meanwhile, in 2021, the Great Serpent betrays the Earth to the Santarans, who began attacking the Lupari shield. Meanwhile, Swarm and Azure use the energy from their victims to transport themselves to Division Headquarters to get vengeance on those who imprisoned them so long ago. Swarm disintegrates Tecteyun and then turns to deal with the Doctor, giving us our latest cliffhanger, The End. Meanwhile, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, yeah. everybody's confused. No. Uh, there no. are a lot of threads. That's I kind of like four, at least four separate plot threads in this episode. Maybe five, mm -hmm. depending yeah. on how you count them. It, it is, as my wife said, I I'm very confused. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I wasn't confused. I actually enjoyed this episode a lot. Yeah. I was glad for summarizing purposes when I realized that the thread tracking Dan and Yaz was really just a MacGuffin hunt. Yeah. And all I needed to say was they go across the world and they end up meeting Josephson. Right. right. Um, similarly, all the stuff going on with the Great Serpent is, oh, he's killing people to try to rise to the top of the unit and then he betrays us to the Centaurans. Yeah, I, I had a feeling that several at several points in this episode, we can talk about as we get to them, that they were kind of... We talked before how they, this was supposed to be an 80-episode season, and they decreased it to six because of COVID. And it felt like there were certain places where, yeah, that's where we contracted. <laughs> that's where there should have been more exposition or more something in order to not have this feel like a mad dash down a hallway. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, other things that may have they may have let breathe if they had more episodes this season um, is Dan's relationship with the doctor, because a lot of fans have pointed right. out he has spent almost no time in the doctor's presence. And right. yet he's a companion. Yes, yep. that's true. That's true. And, you know, one thing that's kind of a hope is Big Finish is already taking notes on how they're going to fill the three <laughs> years between where 
Danny and Yaz ended up at in 1901 and 1904 when they're doing the MacGuffin hunt. Uh, I would we like might... to see Dan and Yaz and Professor Jericho adventures. That could be fun. I, I like Professor Jericho. There could be a lot of there could be a lot of fun there. Yeah. So. We should probably define the term MacGuffin for people who may not be familiar with it. It's a term that Alfred Hitchcock introduced. A MacGuffin is an object or thing. It's something. It doesn't have to be an object, but it's something that all of the characters in the story are really care about, even though the audience doesn't. It's it's of significance inside the story, but it is it's not of direct real significance to the um, to people watching the story. And a classic example is the plans to the Death Star in Star Wars are the MacGuffin that motivates the plot. What happens to those plans is intensely interesting to the characters in the story, but not so much to the audience, except insofar as we like the characters. In this, uh, Yaz and Dan and Professor Jericho are trying to find a date for like the Earth's final battle. And they get December 3rd or December 5th, which happens to be next Sunday. Mm -hmm. And guess what? The year is going to be 2021. So, you know, we can infer what it is, but uh, even without being told. But the only really significant thing. okay, oh, guess what? Next week on Doctor Who, there's going to be a big battle. Could have told you that. <laughs> didn't, didn't need to go to Mexico and Constantinople and Nepal and the Great Wall of China and all these other places just to figure that out. Well, what a coincidence that they all happen to fall on a Sunday. <laughs> all these <Yeah>. Halloween and <laughs> all these different well, dates. <laughs> it did kind of feel like, oh, well, what are we going to do with these characters? Because they're trapped in the past and somehow we've got to get them back connected with the doctor and into the present, if not the future. So you got to do something. Yeah. Right. And and it was it was effectively, you know, time filling stuff. But I thought it was well done. I liked mm-hmm. seeing their adventure. I mean, the first one mm-hmm. where they're in a temple in Mexico, like a an Aztec or Mayan temple or something mm-hmm. um, is uh, is reminiscent of Indiana Jones, only it's played more for comedy. Yeah, that was funny. And and it's always fun or frequently fun to go to Constantinople during the late Ottoman Empire. And, you know, you're in a souk of bazaar mm-hmm. and you're consulting people on, who know strange mystic things. And that can be fun. Although point uh, safety tip. If someone, if you are in Constantinople consulting people on mystic things <laughs> and someone plants a bundle of dynamite next to where you are, do not waste your time putting blankets on top of the dynamite. <laughs> that will not help. Yeah. Maybe pull the fuse out or, you know, yeah. douse the fuse. Maybe that yeah. might be a, a, nothing effective. else run, but do not just waste time putting blankets on the dynamite, <laughs> which is what Yaz does. Maybe they're Kevlar. Like it's, I don't know. Uh, so that actually raises a question for me. Last time on the the village of the angels, they were stuck in this little quantum pocket or whatever in the, space. In space, mm-hmm. how yeah. they get away from there? Nobody knows, or nobody well, said. Nobody said. Now we could infer from the previous episode that even though the village was taken to space in 1904, it was eventually returned. Because right. it was found empty. Yeah. And so um, presumably they were just there at the moment of return and left, which is part mm-hmm. of why it was found empty. 
I, I guess, yeah. yeah because that happened in 67 as well, both 1901 and 1607. Or 1967, it did the vanish and come back routine. Yeah. Uh, okay. I guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I felt like that was another one of those things where... They, they should have closed the loop better right. than they did. If they had yeah. another two episodes, they would have done more with that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I did enjoy that. I, I, the, the, the adventure on board the ship and getting attacked by the steward. And, and oh, Jericho, I love Dan. Dan, Dan, <laughs> Dan gets a great line uh, where he's wrestling with the um, wrestling with the, the snake agent. This, mm-hmm. The guy they found a snake tattoo on him after they after he died. So right. um, so he's one of the great serpents agents on Earth who is apparently trying to stop Dan Yaz and Professor Jericho for reasons we don't understand. Um, But uh, when they're wrestling with him, uh, Dan has a hold of his foot and threatens him with answer the question or I'll break your toes. (laughs) And, and normally you don't hear toe threatening in in, in adventures. It's normally finger threatening maybe, but toe threatening was nice. (laughs) <laughs> you know, we get a moment on board the ship where Yaz is alone and she pulls a hologram out of her pocket where the doctor explains to her how they know to be looking for this date. Like the doctor talking to her. It, it's reminiscent of Blink. Remember when the doctor, the 10th doctor talks to Sarah Sparrow, something Sparrow, Sally Sparrow, Sally Sparrow, so, yeah. uh, and, and sort of has a conversation with her through the DVD, you know, uh, special features mm-hmm. sort of thing the the Easter egg. And the doctor does that again, except it's a little bit more like I'm anticipating and hopefully you actually said that. Well, that I that I'm guessing that you said. Otherwise, this is a really weird conversation. <laughs> but uh, but we have this current this this explanation for w- how they know. And again, I think that's enough. feel like that's another one of those things where we have to insert this so that <laughs> because we had to decrease from six from eight to six. And so we've got this sort of exposition moment that in this to kind of catch up the audience to why this is all going on. Um, yeah, although really the main exposition occurs between universes. That's where we get tons of exposition. Right. In the, this case, yeah. oh, go ahead. I was just going to say what the doctor d- does tell her is that the Earth is safe from the flux uh, because of Lupari Shield, but that all the great the great evil creatures are fleeing the flux will be looking to make Earth their home, uh, and thus that endangers Earth. Uh, you know, they they want Earth to be as their safe haven. Yeah. There's also a moment in this that I've seen people comment in the fandom on uh, where uh, after after Yaz has watched the hollow egg and she's she's sitting there sad. And that's when Jericho and Dan come back into the ship's cabin where she's been watching it. And they pick up on the fact she's sad, even though she says there's nothing wrong with her. And Dan just sits down with her to be a comforting presence. And I've seen it commented on how much better that plays than the la- than a similar scene where we had Graham sit down next to Yaz to comfort her and starts talking about how amazing and marvelous she is when she (laughs) hasn't done anything amazing or marvelous. Right. And just sitting down and being a nice person to be in a comforting, emotional present works much better than, than false, undeserved, (laughs) false, undeserved praise. Yeah. You know, right. Right. Exactly. 
So uh, there is an, also another uh, fun moment where they're in Nepal and they, they encounter a, a guru on the uh, on the top of the mountain and he's teasing them. Which oh, I just, this is just, no, 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 don't you don't you're spoiling it. Okay, so, sorry. So, I presume everyone's they, watched this, but they, okay. sh- they show up and and they and this is like some mystic that very famous mystic. We don't know who it is. It doesn't appear to be a real person, but it's some very famous mystic that that Jericho has read about from 1967. So this guy has made the history books and they show up, they've taken four days to get up this mountain and, and the guy is looking, he's seated there, you know, I don't know if he's in the Lotus position technically or not, but he's seated there. They show up at his little tent and he's sitting outside it and he's been watching them come up the Valley and he's looking very serious and and a little intimidating and the first words out of his mouth are what took you so long <laughs> i've been watching you climb up this mountain for four days you should take more exercise <laughs> and <laughs> and and then he wants to know the latest gossip because as a hermit, he doesn't get gossip. So he says he'll take anything. And they say, well, we'll, we'll you know, the telephone has been invented. I'm a hermit. And so, well, we would have brought a newspaper if you if we had thought of it. You didn't bring one. And, and he, he, he asks that he just keeps no matter what they say, he turns it so that they're digging themselves in deeper. He asks if they brought food or the latest Conan Doyle. And in fact, 1904 was a big year for Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes stories, because in the Strand magazine, uh, Conan Doyle had just resurrected Sherlock Holmes after mm. the uh, after the Reichenbach Falls story, the final problem, which is. One of the technically it's one of the worst written stories um, for reasons I'll go into another time. But he had just brought him back. And in 10 of the 12 months of 1904, the Strand published a brand new Sherlock Holmes story after an absence of years. And so people were agog with that. And then he explains that he doesn't get to tease people much. And so he's just yeah. teasing them. But he gives them <laughs> his words of wisdom that he discerned psychically are awesome. Yeah. Because he yeah. tells them that he's he they they want to know what they need to do and stuff. And he, he, he says, I have three words for you. And then he like concentrates to discern what the words are. Fetch your dog. And they're like, what? It's like, I don't know. That's all I've got. Fetch your dog. And they think about it and they realize Carvinista. Right. Yep. And so they go to the Great Wall of China and they know Carvinista is in orbit in 2021. And so on the ground near uh, near uh, the Great Wall, uh, actually above and below the Great Wall, they paint on the ground Carvinista. Dan is here, 1904, fetch your human. (laughs) (laughs) And Carvinista in 2021 looks down and sees that and says, I don't have time travel. (laughs) <laughs> it's awesome well, yeah i mean of course remarkable that it lasts for how many you know uh, uh, over a century on the ground <laughs> that's a durable paint good paint yeah good, good paint. paint must good have been paint. like latex paint or something <laughs> yeah, that that was uh that was a good scene i like the 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 hermit on the mountain that was yeah. the whole thing was good it, it was a really nice comedic break yep. so 
I want to I want to talk about the doctor in, at division last because that's the most important thing for the in general. But let's talk about okay. the Great Serpent, um, mm-hmm. who also goes by Prentice. We first see him show up in England in 1958. Um, uh, uh, we didn't talk about um, the group, the trio in Liverpool. We'll come back to that in a second because that yeah. sort of has to do with the end. Uh, the Great Serpent shows up in, in he's in England, 1958, skeet shooting with a guy who turns out to be a uh, general. I don't think that was skeet shooting. Neither none of them said pull. I was oh. uh, I thought they was... were just hunting. Oh, maybe yeah, they just was bird hunting. Sorry. Just, yeah. Um, just shooting. Yeah, I sort of I think I supplied skeet. Uh he they're shooting uh for sport uh with a with a turns out to be a general who's been tasked with setting up unit and you know he uh the great serpent is is uh, asked, you know, so what do you do? What do you, you know, wh- what is it you you are good at or whatever? And he says, uh, I'm uh, how does he put it? I'm good. You're going well, to it's going to be he, hard he, to believe. Go ahead. Yeah. He initially says that um, he can't really talk about what he's done because it's classified. And the general says, well, can you give me an indication of your general skill set and he says well it may be hard to believe but i have i have i have been tasked with dealing or i am a specialist in dealing with threats that are possibly not from this world right mm-hmm. right yeah that's how he puts it and of course the general says oh that's handy because i've been tasked with setting up unit for just that reason and so and i feel like i'm out, out of my depth so here why don't you come help me do that so the Great Serpent is there at the beginning of Unit, and there throughout its history. We see him again in a few years, 1967. In 60, where Unit has just yep. stood up. They have, in, they have just inducted a new corporal who is a shouter but effective, and that's a reference to Lethbridge Stewart. Mm-hmm. Who was uh, a in fact, you hear his voice just briefly. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Uh, Corporal in 67, that was a very quick promotion to Brigadier <laughs> within a few well, years. Did it say corporal or cor- colonel? Oh, I you thought know, it was. I thought it was corporal, but maybe I'm mistaken. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 I missed that. But yeah, you, you but might be was, right. They might have said corporal instead of because he was Colonel Lethbridge Stewart when we first meet him. Uh, yeah, the second doctor. I thought he was a lieutenant at that point. I could be. Mm-hmm. I could be mistaken on that. It's been a while since I've seen that episode. Right. Um, <laughs> but any in any event, they name check. Uh, Lethbridge Stewart and I they have an actor step briefly on screen that I who is lower ranking and I think it may be meant to be him even though he right. we cut away too quick for him to get a line right um and they, you, you do hear him in the background you do hear uh actual Nicholas, uh, Nicholas Courtney. Courtney's voice yeah. but it's probably I think it was like a recording from an old episode course, way back yeah. when yeah also, they reference another old episode directly. Uh, this is 1967, and they allude to an, a, a story that took place in 1966 in the first Doctor called The War Machines, <clears throat> in which there was a threat from, well, war machines that were controlled right. by an AI um, in, in London. And so they apparently have just just did not get stood up quite in time to deal with the war machines, which is why unit didn't appear in that that series. <laughs> of course. But they also have the TARDIS there, which is 
from spirit like is this spirit from space is this no they say they say they found it in in this village meaning so this is 1967 Uh and that's the year everybody disappears from the village and that's where we last saw the tardis it was left in the village and so they got it out of the village and then they said that um they're now turning that village into a military testing area so as not to panic the public because everyone there vanished. So this mm. is the the 2021 Doctor's TARDIS, not a yes. previous TARDIS. Okay. Yes. So, uh, so it's presumably been left somewhere in a in a unit warehouse all that time uh, until the Doctor comes back for it. Uh, so, and then it, it, in the Stargate from Antarctica. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah exactly. exactly. So the, uh, the grand serpent ends up killing the general, uh, by having a serpent, speaking of Stargate, having a serpent come yep. out of him and then be reabsorbed into the grand serpent. So the grand so, serpent is not human. He's right. gold. Oh, I mean, yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> so I wonder, I mean, so that's obviously where he gets his name, the great serpent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder, is that, yeah, there's this a question about, he, so he was ruling Vinder's people, Vinder and Bell's people. Is mm-hmm. he one of their people? Is this a natural part of their, or has he made a deal with the devil, so to speak? And I, I don't know the answers to those questions yet, yeah. but mm-hmm. um, it what it reminds me of, so we've already seen there may be a connection between Vinder's people and the Time Lords. Mm-hmm. Because this may be, it may be that regeneration comes from them. Also, they may be preternaturally unaging, which is also characteristic of Time Lords. Mm-hmm. They age very slowly. But what that reminded me of, that image of, it's kind of a golden serpent, and it's, it's not an earth snake. It's, right. it's got additional doodads on it. Um, but it suffocates people from the inside, and then when it's done suffocating them, it comes out of their mouth. Mm-hmm. And it, it it then slinks up or crawls up the great serpent and merges into him. Yeah. And what that really reminded me of was the serp was the um, the serpent shaped death morphant worm that the master inhabited during the 1996 TV movie. Mm-hmm. Sure. Oh, that would be interesting. They're mm-hmm. <laughs> pulling something from the, the Eighth Doctor. That yeah. would be. Yeah. That, that I would. That I kind of would like to see them bring in some something from that. That was. I mean, it, yeah, that would be good. Uh, so then we jump ahead to 1987. So another 20 years where the Great Serpent is talking with some government official, and he wants to take over unit. So this guy is presumably in charge of unit from the civilian side. He was. The oversight committee. I think he was part. Yeah. Of, he was the head of the oversight committee, and, and the Grand Serpent wanted to take that over. Right, and so he ends up killing him. So now he's in charge of unit, and then we jump ahead again to 2017. So another 30 years. Yeah, math is right. And now he's got Kate mm. Lethbridge Stewart in the office, and he's telling her that they're winding down unit, uh, but she smart Kate that she is, recognize who and what he is, calls him on it, says, I've uh, inoculated myself against whatever influence you uh, you ha- seem to have over others. So he can't do the snake thing to her. Uh, and then she goes home. He tries to blow her up with a bomb on her front door. And then she calls Osgood and tells Osgood, yay, Osgood, that uh, mm. she's going underground. Yeah. she And she it, it's, it's not clear if she actually talks to Osgood, but she just says, 
very quickly, Osgood, I have to go dark. And then she 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 breaks her phone. Yes. Which mm-hmm. is great because that's what you want to do in that moment. You don't want them tracking you through that thing. Right, right. Presumably uh, she's got burner phones stashed elsewhere she can use. She seems exactly. yeah, like she's smart enough to prepare for such a thing. Uh, and then we end with the Great Serpent has we find out he's made a deal with the Santarans, who we remember were trying to take over Earth a few episodes ago, uh, to leave Earth defenseless, and uh, and so they start coming through the doors, coming through everywhere in, at all points in time, but including the doors in the tunnels that Williamson has has built these these time right. tunnels of some sort, and that's what we that's where our three um, uh, Yaz, Dan, and Jericho have gone to Liverpool after he comes running out onto their cabin on the ship and disappearing, they decide to go find him in Liverpool or his tunnels. Yeah. And it's, and 1904 is after Williamson's life, but there are rumors that his ghost haunts the place, that it still walks the tunnels. And of course they realize it's not his ghost. It's really him. Yeah. It's still alive, but displaced in time. He's still walking through his tunnels, which he refers to as some kind of weird puzzle that he can't figure out because he's got these doors connecting it to other times. And he says in particular, uh, he says they've shifted where mm-hmm. they lead to has shifted mm-hmm. and he doesn't know where they all lead to now. Uh, but they shifted apparently because of the flux. And um, he says in particular, never go through doorway number nine. And Jericho says, why not? And he says, instant death. It's, oh, that's persuasive. <laughs> um, and so there we have a setup of Chekhov's doorway number nine. So yes. we can expect doorway number nine to be opened in episode six. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The Chekhov's doorway number nine. Uh, and so that that closes the loop, I think, on the Great Serpent's thread. Um there isn't much to yeah. say about Vinder and Bell. I mean, you've kind of said it all in the recap. There's, um, yeah, v- um, Carvanista hyperjacks Bell to recall yep. her ship, right. um, and I do like when 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 her ship has reached Earth. Um, he he's talking to her on the radio. He knows she's not a Lupar. And yes. and he tells her, I'm giving you the count till the count of one before I come on board. One. <laughs> 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 Which was very nice. Yes, that was uh, good. No, one, one thing with uh, Belle before she was warped away, we have one of these near miss routines yeah. with her and Vinder. Yeah. Because she is about to go check out this place where Azure and Swarm are doing the human, we're turning you into giant batteries thing. And just as she's about to land, she gets warped away. And then Vinder, like immediately after, right, does some like a temporal jump or whatever to this place. Yeah, I know. It's like it's almost like he's using a vortex manipulator, but it yeah. looks different. Yeah. Um, the um, so at this place where they almost meet, it's it's this creepy looking space station thing. Um, kind of looks like a giant claw. Yeah. Um, yeah. but more more rotated 3D than that, and um, and they're taking people out of the passenger forms and converting them into some kind of energy that they can use to feed the time force. They also, get, even though they even though the people who they've taken out of the passenger forms are standing there like zombies because 
they're zombies um, <laughs> at this point. Um, Swarm is giving them this speech, talking to them about like you, you guys are all space and we meaning Azure and me are time. And we're going to take your energy and do stuff with it, which will grow the time force and why they need people for this. I have no clue. Because yep. they've, they've, mm-hmm. they, it's like, look, you, you're disintegrating these people and using them to charge some kind of machine. Can't you do that with regular matter? Why does it have to be living matter? Why does it have to be living human matter? Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, so. And he's monologuing. And, he, and he's <laughs> monologuing, but no capes. Um, <laughs> he, and they then, they then meet him face to face, vendor face to face. Right. And, and and he puts him in a passenger form and immediately upon entering the passenger form, which is a kind of in, inside, at least where Vendor is, it looks kind of like there's gr- marble Greek inspired architecture mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. with a kind of fantasy wasteland background. And he immediately meets Diane from Liverpool, whose first line is amazingly refreshing for someone on Chris Chibnall's Doctor Who. At last, someone with a gun. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> and she's very clearly unhappy and and she she aims to misbehave. <laughs> yes, yes. Yep. Well, and Vendor indi- seems to indicate that he intentionally want, wanted to be captured inside. Yes. Like he's got a plan. He didn't just stumble in and get, you know, captured. Oh, no, no. You know, what was me? He had a plan to get captured by passenger and he's got something he's going to do. So it'd be interesting to to see that, uh, to see that where that goes with that. All right. Let's talk about the big the big plot line, the major plot line of questions concerning the doctor. Um, so in the transport, the angel transport, which is like worst flight ever, uh, she, <laughs> she, there's, she's surrounded by what by probably thousands or millions of angels. I mean, it's just this vast to the horizon of angels who don't respond to her at all. And she gets this whole thing like, I'm blinking, I'm blinking. Come on. Hello. And she taps on one, <laughs> yeah. which is kind of funny. Um, Eventually they do talk back to her telepathically. Yeah. Was yep. that Jodie Whittaker's voice or was that a, another actress? It kind of sounded a little bit like her voice. Mm, um, I don't know. It might, it, um, the credits they, they, list they, three other women, but yeah. Yeah, I was going to say that the, the TARDIS wiki shows three other people. Okay. Um, so um, they, they do say something interesting. We are conversion. We are transport. That's, the, the, that's their uh, line to her there. Um, and the conversion is, uh, the doctor later figures out, is conversion to a form of matter that can exist between universes. Right. Because mm. when she comes out of that, she's uh, in Division headquarters and is presented with an Ood who puts a pin on her. That's a conversion panel, I think he says, something mm. along those lines. It's like and, some kind of stabilize, thing to stabilize her now that she's between universes. Right. And uh, so don't take it off. Um and that's where she uh, runs into uh, Aquafina or uh, Osok. <laughs> so, so here's the thing: I have watched a whole bunch of different videos from different Doctor Who fans who talk about Osok, which is the mm-hmm. character's name as listed in the credits. Now, it turns out that was just misdirection, apparently, because this is Tech Tayun, mm-hmm. um, right. and they just didn't want that reveal spoiled. So fine. They call her Osok, A-W-S-O-K, in the, in the uh, credits. Mm-hmm. Perfectly straightforward, easily pronounceable name, Osok. 
for the AW, SOC for the SOK, AWSOC. So why have I seen multiple Doctor Who fans commenting on YouTube repeatedly referring to her as Aswok? <laughs> Dudes, read it. Yes. If if you're gonna talk about it, I mean, I have to check things for this show. <laughs> check things, you Tracy know. Crazy. Make sure you're yeah. right. It's one thing if something occurs to you on the fly, but if you know you're going to talk about this character, and if in fact in your incredibly inaccurate fan theory videos you've been talking about this character. <laughs> For weeks, yep. learn her name. Well, we got to be careful about throwing stones because we've had some characters that we've pronounced and sometimes well, mispronounced on purpose. Uh, but well, that's we've the thing too. So. On purpose, on purpose. So I call her Aquafina because when I'm watching this and I'm taking my notes, <laughs> I couldn't for the life of me remember what her what her the character's name was, and I'm like, it's awesome something. And I remember watching Shang Chi and the Ten Rings, so I'm like. I'll just write Aquafina and I'll come back and fix that later. Yeah. <laughs> it up. If, if I were going to do something along those lines, I would be tempted to call her Aquanetta, which was the <laughs> actual stage name of an actress back in the 1950s. They thought nice. it sounded Aquanetta sounded exotic and didn't think it sounded like a hairspray <laughs> that hairspray. all the women would have known. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> all right. So she, she runs into, she, so she's introduced to, Asak, who we'll find is Tektayun, her foster mother who found her as a presumably a foundling, although the doctor disputes that possibly. Oh, that, yeah. So yep. the doctor, there's this once Tektayun does the reveal on who she is, the doctor is 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 resentful. Mm-hmm. By the way, I like the kind of it. She's sort of a stern mother, but mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. the motherly relationship that she has with the doctor, even though she's an evil mother. She's an evil stepmother. <laughs> um, nevertheless, she has this motherly attitude. It's like, OK, I'm not taking your junk. Um, here's the deal. And <laughs> she but she compliments her and says, you know, you always work quick on the uptake and things like that. And and she she has you don't often see the doctor have this emotional dynamic mm-hmm. with someone who can talk to her like they're a parent. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's nice to see that um, the but. Um, uh, oh, and I lost my train of thought. I was going to mention just the the environment that they're in. Maybe you can get your train of thought back while I talk about it. Mm-hmm. But the they were on board this this station or ship or whatever it is, and there's this giant tree that is above them, which mm-hmm. reminded me a lot of the tree inside the TARDIS in the Journey to the Center of the TARDIS, which is an episode that we've talked about but has not yet been released. Uh, mm. That is sort of this this device for making it's a replicator basically um oh yeah. that tree okay yeah. i was going what tree are you thinking about it's like <laughs> yeah, the, okay yeah the replicator tree and i wonder if it's that's kind of just there and i don't know if this if we're ever going to talk about this this tree that's in the middle of everything but it's very interesting that the environment that they're in mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. It, it one of the things that uh tech Tayun says about oh I got my train of thought back. Good. So Tekteyun, the doctor challenges Tekteyun as a, being a kind of ungrateful child saying, you took my lives away from me. You took me away. How do you know? And then she names a bunch of other possibities mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than her being abandoned. 
at the site where she was found because there was this wormhole and Tech Tayun didn't see her come through the wormhole. How do you know I wasn't meant to go through it? Right. How do you know the person Mm -hmm. who left me there hadn't just gone through it? How do you know they weren't coming back to pick me up? You know, um, bunches of options here. And and so it's not clear that she came through this wormhole where she was found, which Tech Tayun later says leads to the second universe, to the next right. universe in sequence. Right. Um, and Tech Tayun at that point in the episode says it's, you know, that that may be where you came from and we could explore that and find find out. And all and I went back and watched the Timeless Children Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. guess who else is using if maybe not for sure certain that the doctor came out of that wormhole language? The master, as he's ah. explaining all this. And so he's like apparently having, you know, she found Tech Tayun, found the child abandoned apparently by this, you know, next to this wormhole right. to another unknown dimension or universe. And it's like, okay, Chibnall has been using misdirection from the beginning. Um, the reason they're exploring all these possibilities is to warn the audience that the answer is very likely to be something other than the doctor came from that universe, which supports the bell and vendor are her parents theory. Mm. Mm. You know, that that kind of triggers a thought for me is we haven't seen hide nor hair of the master in this mm-hmm. season. Unless and, he's masquerading as one of the people we have seen hide in here of. Exactly. I was going to say that, that, that maybe he's, uh, we're setting, I mean, he is at the core of the whole timeless child question, which is at the core of this season. So how could we not address that? And the fact that he also resurrected the zombie time Lords as zombie Cybermen. Right. Uh, that's all been kind of left hanging, too. I suspect the, the zombie Time Lord Cybermen will be back for the 100th anniversary special um, mm. of the BBC mm. that's going to come out late next year where the Doctor regenerates, because apparently the Master is going to be involved in that. Oh, OK. Okay. It'd be However, interesting to see him in both, this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and both as both Swarm and now the Great Serpent would be plausible ciphers for the master yeah right that would be interesting that would be interesting to see um so yeah we'll have to i'm kind of anticipating that in next time so but uh, we'll 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 get to that uh one of the interesting lines that the uh or well tech that explains what the division is it started as a way it, it began on gallifrey as a way to safeguard the galaxy where where this 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 uh, peaceful, you know, the the peace core of the galaxy. We're, we're <laughs> and then, of course, like all uh, government bureaucracies, mission creep, and they grew yep. to to decide that we're not just going to safeguard the galaxy. We're going to direct events in in the galaxy and the universe to the way just, we want it to be. Just nudge things a little bit, a little this way, a little that way, <laughs> right? But and and thus she says they've been recruiting from all universes. Uh, and all races, but that doesn't really seem to fit with what they are portrayed as in this, which is like, okay, we've gotten out of our own universe. We're trying to propel ourselves towards this second universe, and we can see a bunch of universes beyond that, but it doesn't sound like they're in contact with a, right. with a vast number of universes. Um, so it, there's a little inconsistency there, which may just be bad writing, Yep. Um, but, you know, sometimes they're using hyperbole when it 
clashes with the, the facts they're establishing. Right. Um, but one of the things that occurred to me in the last few episodes is, you know, like after they revealed uh, Weeping Angels have been their recruits and mm-hmm. Lupars like um, like Carvista yep. had been one of their recruits. Well, all the way back to where we first learned about the Fugitive Doctor, who are they using? The Jadoon. Yep. Mm-hmm. We're trying to bring the, the we're trying to bring the Fugitive Doctor back to the division. And so, yeah, the division we've seen from when the division was introduced, we've seen them using other races or at least and we because that I mean, that actually is from the beginning of when we started to learn about them. We didn't know who they were yet, but we knew someone was using the Jadoon to try to get the doctor. And we later learned that was the division. Um. The Tectayun says, uh, like you said before in the recap, that they, they the division let the doctor loose into the universe like a virus. Um, and she says something. She says morality was always your flaw. Uh, and yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a typical, <laughs> typical, uh, you know, evil uh, bureaucrat sort of thing to say. Um, yeah, this is Crayola paint by numbers writing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um they had wiped her memories and they thought that would be enough. But Tecte Yoon says that she knew if she ever learned what the division had done in taking away her memories, she would become obsessed and would keep looking for the division and might expose it, which is now exactly what's started to happen. And so of course the obvious solution is at that point is destroy the universe. <laughs> right. Exactly. Rather than be exposed as a covert organization, you just destroy the universe. And and we're back to one of our, frequent complaints of modern who which is everything has to be universe destroying stakes everything is giant i i will say one thing that i do like about this even though we do have universal stakes once again and for a not very good reason mm-hmm. i mean people are going to what's so what's so terrible if they know about the division why is that so bad right you know the i mean are they going to torture you in the pit of you know, whatever forever or what, uh, (laughs) why would this be so bad if people knew you'd been secretly nudging races and doing occasional covert ops? I mean, we know about here on earth, the CIA and the KGB and, you know, they don't want to destroy the world lest we know they (laughs) exist. Right. So, um, so that doesn't make sense, but given that they're going to do a universe destroying thing like the flux, They've actually given it scope this time in Mm. all the previous occasions where we've had like the stolen earth, uh, the Pandorica opens in the Big Bang, even Logopolis, where they they wipe out like, I don't know, a third of the universe or something. Mm -hmm. We never see those parts. This is all other people's problems. And here on Earth, it's like, okay, oh, guess what? Earth is all the stars in the sky are simultaneously exploding throughout all of time, which makes no sense. (laughs) And and Earth is okay. Yeah. But all the rest of the universe is ended and Earth is okay for now because it's the center of the storm. But eventually, but, but that gives us time to work on the problem. Okay. We've never seen the destruction of the rest of the universe before. But now we have. We've had Bell and Vendor going places and seeing the destruction and the survivors and the wars being fought over it. And for once, 
with a universe destroying plot, they've actually given scope to that Mm -hmm. by showing us the rest of the universe instead of just telling us about it from the perspective of Earth. Mm. I wonder if Thanos worked for Division. (laughs) 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 Destroy half the universe. Uh, So, and Tatooine says, um, like we mentioned, they, they created the Flux because they were wary of the Doctor for giving people quote, hope, quote unquote. Um, and the doc- <laughs> so stupid. Yeah. It, so the doctor is mad that Tectoon denied her her natural life, but Tectoon says, she comes back and says, well, you're no different. You, you know, j- jump into these people's, your companions' lives, and you take them away from that, and you change their lives willy-nilly uh, for your own purposes, uh, and not always for the good of the companion, which is an interesting mm-hmm. You know, criticism yeah. of the doctor. I, I like that turnabout. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it's analogous because no. I mean, and frankly, the doctor's being unreasonable um, because I mean, imagine you're a human here on Earth in the early 21st century and you go to a park and there's a baby on a bench and nobody around. Right. Do you leave the baby on the bench there in hope someone is going to come back for it? Or do you infer from the fact you have a vulnerable child left alone in a public place with nobody around that the child has been abandoned? Right. You know, you're not going to leave that child there. You're going to take it somewhere that it can be cared for. And hopefully maybe you can one day reunite it with its parents, assuming they're competent to be reunited mm-hmm. with it, but you're not you're not leaving a baby on a bench, even if there's yeah. a wormhole next to the bench. <laughs> Perhaps especially if there's a wormhole next to the bench, because yeah. you don't know that what's if, that if something comes through the wormhole, it's going to be parents. <laughs> yeah. It might be mm-hmm. something much worse for the baby. Turn to the wormhole. Uh, you drop something and toss the baby in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you look for the parents, though. You don't yeah, just take well, off with the child. But To yeah. the extent you can. Now, in our society, you take the, bar- the, the baby to the authorities. The authorities yeah. would, you know, do an investigation to try to find the parents. Um, here, this is for Tectayun. This is the early days of dangerous space travel off Gallifrey. So right. there are no star cops she can take the baby to. Yeah. So she's kind of got a, you know, there's no, I mean, what she could do, and for all we know, she did do, was leave a message at the site and yeah. say, I found this abandoned baby and I took it to care for it. If it's yours, you can look me up. Here are the coordinates for Gallifrey. Right. Right. Uh, presumably, we'll never know now, now that she's been um, ashed by Azure uh, or by Swarm, I mean. Swarm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. But... We have a a little another uh, Chekhov's uh, timepiece, a, a pocket watch, a yep. chameleon yep. arch, right? Is that what they, we we call yeah, it? Well, the arch is what turns you into the human. The fob watch is what holds the memories and releases them. Okay, okay. Right. so it's that the watch that holds the memories that we've seen before, uh, and. So, uh, she, so of course, we know how the doctor is going to get her memories back is through the watch. Yes. And we see in the next time trailer, the watch actually opening and spiraling out all yep. of her memories. So she's right. getting them exactly. back. Yes. Uh, but like I said, Swarm and Azure show up at Division headquarters and kill Tectayun. And then, as you said, Jimmy, turn to the doctor and they're going to kill her. Or not. <laughs> yeah, well, and and the dialogue that Swarm has is deliberately vague. He, like, turns to the doctor and says, and now for you. Yeah. But all they've said is they're going to take, re- take revenge, not kill them. 
And right. so their revenge on the doctor may be giving her her memories back right. of all the awful stuff she may have done for the division. Right. I mean, their their beef is with the division and and the doctor. So maybe it'd be enough to destroy the division and leave the doctor with her memories. The, and that would be that. Well, and let's not forget too. you talk about awful stuff that the doctor did. But also, what did Tecteun do to the doctor in doing all her experiments, experiments yeah. to discover yeah. the regeneration? True. So true. There's going to be that floating out there as well. And there's also a potential Chekhov's weeping angel here because at one point Tecteun says that they had stored, they had quantum stored the memories for a long time in the weeping angel they sent to hunt her down. Mm-hmm. But now they put him in back in the watch. And uh. she says, "Don't worry, that weeping angel has not gone has not escaped. We transported it too." And she shows him a hologram of it. Uh, so that would yeah. suggest the rogue weeping angel is going to have more to play in the story. Maybe mm-hmm. in helping save the doctor, ironically, from Azure and Swarm. Yeah. So, uh, Father Corey, any other notes on this episode? You know, I, one thing I wrote is, boy, that was a lot of buildup for the Santaran invasion. I mean, all this <laughs> stuff just builds up to that. Right. Uh, but I, I kind of a, had a chuckle when, it, you know, the, the doctor being transported by weeping angel and now us uh, airlines are starting to discover how to, or trying to discover how to do this. All I have to, all they have to do is get you on the plane, turn you into a weeping angel, fly you there, land, <laughs> turn you back human. And then they don't have to worry about, you know, like crew. Yeah, they can just right. have the pilot. No in-flight pilot meals. Pilot. No in-flight <laughs> meals. Don't know if I want to get on that passenger form. <laughs> yeah, no. that's right. Uh, Jimmy, how about you? So a few little notes. We also get a a glimpse of the weird crooked house um, mm. that the doctor had a vision of a few episodes ago. So that's that we got another glimpse of that in this episode, apparently connected with her memories. Right. Um, to remind us that that's there. So we should get payoff on that next week. Um, Awshock also, um, uh, <laughs> at least I said it right. Tectayune. Yes. yes. Tecteun describes the the ship that they're on, or the station that they're on, as her seed vault for the new universe to mm. preserve traces of what has been lost in the first universe. And I like that. That's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The um, uh, although she is destroying the previous universe, needlessly, at least she's taken some keepsakes. <laughs> um, we also have a nice line where, or a nice exchange between the Doctor and the Ood where the doctor is trying to convince in Tecteun's absence, the doctor is trying to convince the Ood to help her by appealing to its knowledge of, uh, of, of, of what's going on. And the Ood is like, I can't help you. It's too late. Even if I wanted to, it's too late. And the doctor right. says, I'm really good at pulling rabbits out of hats. And the, the Ood <laughs> says, I have no rabbits. It's a metaphor. And I have no hats. <laughs> <laughs> nice good. little exchange. Yep. A couple of other notes. One that I've been meaning to mention for a few episodes. So it's the opening credits that have been used since Jody Whitaker's time, uh, mm-hmm. which are these. It's not the time vortex anymore. It's mm-hmm. some swirling, mysterious something. And I've, I find that intriguing. On the one hand, I like seeing the time vortex, um, you know, which kind of went all the, or what was clearly the time vortex, which actually kind of went back to the John Pertwee period. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before that, in the first and second doctor's time, you did just have this chaotic 
video feedback thing mm-hmm. that was happening on the screen during the opening credits. It was not clearly the time vortex or anything else. It was just weird. And and I kind of, you know, like seeing something like that. I, I would like to see the time vortex again someday. But I kind of like seeing that with um, with the current doctor, at least for a while. What I noticed, though, is a particular set of things that uh, that apply to me particularly, I think, have been unconsciously shaping my perspective, uh, my aesthetic reaction to the opening credits, because they are dominantly purple with a little bit of white in there, mm-hmm. especially at the center. So they have this purple and white color scheme. And I like that. And I've been associating that with the 13th Doctor. And and a while back, I was watching the credits and I thought, wait a minute, I'm associating. No wonder I'm, a, I'm seeing a resonance between these colors and the 13th Doctor. Because as I've talked about on Mysterious World and other places, I have color grapheme like uh, synesthesia. And so I perceive... Uh, letters and numbers as having colors and Mm. three is the only shape the only letter or number that is purple for me and Mm. one is clear or white so Mm. i have been subconsciously thinking these are appropriate credits for the 13th doctor because of the purple and white (laughs) that's wild yeah they're in your head yeah also i by the way last time they said you can't um you can't uh keep your eyes open while you sneeze well i also in addition to having synesthesia i have allergies and i carry multiple handkerchiefs with me at all times because of that and yes you can keep your eyes open when you sneeze i performed the experiment several times <laughs> um, it's really hard to do it on the first one but it's much easy on the first sneeze but it's much easier on any subsequent sneezes but okay. yes so it if you're ever being menaced by a weeping angel and you feel like you're going to sneeze Believe in yourself. Just believe in yourself and don't blink. (laughs) Or if in a more earthly sense, if you're driving and you need to sneeze, you can you can maybe be safer and sneeze with your eyes open. And not uh, j- sorry, just uh, one one more thing. Yep. Jimmy, remind me of talking about the credits. You know, last last episode, we talked about how the closing credits were distorted. The music was distorted. Mm-hmm. It wasn't distorted. They took the drum beat out or the doctor's heartbeat. You know how they've, oh. they've retconned that the da 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 to be the doctor's yeah. heartbeat. That was removed when the doctor was in the, in the angel, angel form. Oh. Mm. So someone mentioned that online and went, oh, that's clever. That uh-huh. is interesting. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Huh. All right. Well, that does it for Survivors of the Flux. Uh, We do have, as I promised, listener feedback, and I want to get to that right now. Our first feedback comes from Ted on Facebook, who wrote, When I watched the first episode, The Halloween Apocalypse, my reaction is WTF. Please pardon my French acronyms. But after listening to the podcast, I decided to rewatch the episode, and I got much more out of it. One observation that I made had to do with the Centaurans. Their appearance reminded me of the classic Who Centaurans, not the Centaurans of New Who. Could it be that they're trying to make these Centaurans more menacing, unlike Commander Strax, who plays more of a comedic role? What do you think about that? I think Strax plays a totally comedic role. 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and and they definitely are trying to make the, the Suntarans menacing. Yes. And, and have. Yeah. Yes. They are much more menacing as we've seen uh, since then. Uh, and then he says, I thought that the fan theory about Bell and Vinder being the doctor's parents is interesting, but I'm not sure how we feel about revealing all the secrets of the doctor's past. Some things are better left as a mystery. Um, yeah, uh, I agree. Yeah. Although I think we're going to get a lot. <laughs> there may still be some mystery, but we're I think we're about to get a big info dump. Yeah. The, yep. I, the, I, I like having characters who you don't know the truth about them for years. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like Logan in Marvel Comics, his original name was not known for decades. Right. And, um, and, and I like having mystery characters like that. And the Doctor needs to be, to a substantial extent, a mystery, to, to a substantial extent, a mystery character. Yeah, um, right. That it's kind of in the name. <laughs> Doctor, <laughs> Doctor Who. <laughs> Who. So, exactly. um, so I, I hope Chibnall does not dispel too much mystery for us too quickly. I like getting, as part of mystery characters, you do want little hints and pieces over time. And I respect the Timeless Child storyline as a way of introducing more mm -hmm. mystery into the Doctor's character. So I hope he does not immediately take it all away. Right. Well, this is this is a definite cycle in Doctor Who because we've talked about how you know do the Doctor's introduced in the '60s and don't know anything about him, and little bit trickles out, a little more trickles out throughout the years, and then we get to the Seventh Doctor and we got the Cartmel Master Plan, which was supposed to reintroduce a lot of the mystery again. And that then they get mystery, mysterious and now it's trickled back out and now they're just going to dump a whole bunch more on us. So uh, and then Ted finishes. Lastly, what are the odds that in episode six, the doctor will wave her sonic screwdriver or unplug something to reboot the universe? And I'm like saying that's the odds are looking good on that. <laughs> there, there's going to be a big red switch somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> I have a feeling we're given the how everything has been moving. We're going to have to re reboot the universe. Well, or decompress it to use the verb that the doctor yeah. used in yep. this episode. Yes, yes. Uh, and maybe use those seeds. Uh, so Rick on Facebook writes, episode four was so much better than the first three. For me, one of the best in years. Not sure how it fits in with the flux arc, but it almost stands alone as a good, scary story. Mm -hmm. I would agree. And we've yeah. now seen how it fits in with the flux arc. Exactly. Yep. Uh, Rob on Facebook adds, this type of storytelling should have been employed since Chipnell took over. You think? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think we've all agreed, said that one uh, at one point or another this season. And then it'll be interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they continue with uh, whoever the next showrunner is will continue with this serial type format mm. going forward. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, to me, it's not so much the i mean i the serial format is okay um mm -hmm. I, I i can go either way on that the um right. what i think is improved is <clears throat> the increase of the tempo mm -hmm. maybe not quite this fast yeah <laughs> um but i like the increase of the tempo and the um the lack of preachiness yeah. Because this yeah, is yeah. so jam packed, they haven't had time to do much preaching at us. <laughs> That's true. And it's like just That's true. Just I, I'm not here for a sermon. I have church for that. <laughs> here, I am here for an adventure story. Forget yeah. the preaching and tell me an adventure story and make it a good one. That's what I'm here for. As a, as a commonly joke that's my job to preach not theirs yeah. <laughs> yeah and if can we get 10 episode seasons back so we don't get like six episodes every two years or so because that just it, yeah. is not enough 
Uh, and last, uh, last bit of feedback from Matt on YouTube, who wrote, uh, given the cliffhanger, I was somewhat disappointed to see that the title of next week's episode is not The Angelic Doctor. A missed opportunity. It could have been a celebrity <laughs> historical featuring an adventure with St. Thomas. Yeah. And for people who may, and I appreciate the pun for people who may not be familiar, uh, medieval theologians tended to give each other nicknames and kind of like the doctor or the master, except yeah. they all involved the word doctor, which just meant teacher. And so that I mean, the Latin word doctor means teacher. And so mm -hmm. uh, because of his supposedly sublime angelic qualities, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas was known, his nickname was the Angelic Doctor. But there were lots of others like the Marvelous Doctor, the Subtle Doctor, and so forth. And mm -hmm. they would refer to each other or historians have referred to them by these nicknames in their writings. So it would indeed have been interesting to see an episode involving Doctor Who, the Weeping Angels, and the angelic Doctor Thomas Aquinas. Although somehow I don't know that Chris Chibnall would have been the author to give him justice. Yes, no. I was going to say, that would, no. I'm not sure that would work out the way we would hope. All right, so that does it for our feedback. Uh, we want to wrap things up by first taking a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the Secrets of Doctor Who, including Father Michael N., Paul B., Chris N., Deborah B., and Bradley J. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did you think of this Chapter 5, Survivors of the Flux? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we will be discussing the final chapter in the flux, The Vanquishers. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, you can't fight the future. 